Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to our online experience today. Today is World Communion Sunday, and so as we as we begin our time together, you want to gather a cracker, a small piece of bread, and some juice so you can participate, and we'll do that together at the end of the message. And as we gather here, if this is your first time, we want to extend a special welcome to you and say thank you for tuning in, and would invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner and just let us know who you are and if there's any questions you might have or if there's a prayer request that you'd like to share, we'd certainly welcome the opportunity to pray with you. And then if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and are grateful too and would invite you also to use that digital connection card and just let us know a prayer request or any information that we may need to know here. But together we're grateful as we celebrate on this crisp fall Sunday, the first Sunday in October, to think about a couple things. One, today, later this afternoon at two o'clock, at least in our community, will be the crop walk, where we'll step off and walk about 2.9 miles. It'll be good to do that. It's been a couple of years since we've done it physically. The last couple of years, because of COVID, it was done virtually. And so it'll be great just to get out and see our neighbors and to pray for the ministries we're gonna walk by and to enjoy some fellowship together as we leverage our efforts to raise monies and awareness for the food programs that are here. The meal that we participate in that uh, happens every Saturday night here in our community where we take responsibility on a number of Saturdays a year that serves those that are in need as well as the community gardens at the North End Community Improvement uh, Collaborative or our friends that, that in a couple other churches, Mosaic and First Christian that have food pantries. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, there's a link here in the worship notes where you can make your online gift. And we certainly would invite you to do that. And we want to say thank you. All the monies that are raised, 25% of which stay local, and the rest goes to Church World Service, which has been in existence since just the end of World War II and does tremendous work. And so we're grateful to partner with them. And then I also want to celebrate the good work that was done this week on Wednesday morning early at the flagpole at Mansfield High School, uh, along with a number of other schools in our community, as well as around the world. This program called See at the Pole started in 1990. Some two and a half million students were expected to participate Wednesday morning. It was a little confusing for us because of just some logistics. We thought we were going to be at the flagpole, which is on the west side of the building, and then found out as everyone started to gather that actually they had moved the bus drop off to the back. And So I hope you're encouraged just by the fact that students and teachers spent time 23 minutes in uh, worship together and in prayer together, praying for each other, for the schools, for our government leaders, for the world. And it was, it was a great moment to just lean into pausing to start the day well. So I hope that encourages you just to know that in the midst of all the craziness that there is some good taking place in our communities and prayer is a great place to start. As we gather here, let's take a moment and reflect on some scripture. We're in week five of our series here called God Is, and it's been an incredible series where I've gotten so much reaction from so many here online as well as in the building. And yet at the same time, when I lean into this and we're talking about the attributes of God, and let me just set up today's message this way, because I think a lot of us right now are in a season of total frustration with so many things. I think that just in my own story, uh, the idea of what's going on in the world, watching what, what took place with the hurricane that came on shore 
on a Wednesday evening in Florida and just watching the destruction. And I've got some good friends that are in ministry there, and they had shared that they had lost power earlier in the day and really trying to understand what might happen. And and they were trying to make the most of it. And my friend Andrew, uh, he posted a picture of his boys who were playing with Legos just to sort of pass the time. So at least there's that encouragement. But in those moments, you think one more thing that comes at us and, and trying to figure out what's going to be the response coming out of this. They talked about the storm surge over 10 feet in some places. I watched this incredible video on Twitter that was a time lapse that showed the water just roll in and just cover everything. Bushes that were probably four and a half, five feet tall just disappeared, as well as uh, people's cars. And man, we want to be praying for those people as they continue to uh, recover and restore power and all the things that have to take place there. But in those moments is when we get real anxious, right? The idea of trusting God is uh, more difficult when those things sort of hit us. Last week, I was frustrated in a couple of conversations I had, some cohorts that I'm participating in, the local and the national level, that just trying to think through, what does this thing called church look like in this current culture? And realizing that so many of our churches are struggling with attendance and are struggling with connection in their communities. And I just want to be a servant, and I hope that's your desire too, but it just seems like right now it's really complicated, right? And then just thinking about my own story, too, because a couple weeks ago I ended up going to the doctors for my annual checkup and found out, got a nice letter after my blood work was done to say that there's some issues that he's concerned about and so I need to change my diet. And they've added a new medication. And it's like, really? I just, wow. And it's just that maturing thing bothers so many of us, right? Just the reality of that. And, and I'm really made aware of this in terms of my mortality was filling out a couple surveys from some conversations I've been part of. And uh, when you open up the dialogue box about your age, I'm now in that last group, which is also unsettling. And then I think about just my eyesight, can't see things quite as well, was working on some things at the church, uh, trying to install a new valve in the water fountain. And with these crazy lenses of mine, I just couldn't see what I needed to see, just couldn't get it in focus. And just, again, frustration. And that's where I want to go today. So I'm going to ask you the question, are you frustrated? So let's take a look in the scriptures at a guy who was frustrated, a guy who was struggling. It's here in Psalm 102. And we're not exactly who wrote it. It's about the time that David was dealing with the uh, rebellion of his son Absalom. And we know that there's a lot of messiness that's going on, that the people of God are in captivity and that they're hurting. And so here the psalmist says, hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Wow. Can you identify with that? Man, So that's my story for sure. And so when we think about it, this writer, he's trying to say to us some very simple things. First of all, he's in distress. He's sensing a, a deep sense of hopelessness. He's saying that he can't eat, he can't sleep. Obviously, he's sensing he's in isolation. Now, this much I know, and just in some things I've read in the last week, processing the mental health of people coming out of the global pandemic and I think maybe this guy was clinically depressed. I'm not sure. I'm not a therapist, but it certainly sounds like it, right? Now, when we realize that, just whether it's his story or our story or everything in between, we realize there's a lot of change taking place. And there's a lot of things that just seem as though they're unstoppable. I mean, you think about the hurricane. 
I even watched uh, one of the networks was trying to tie the hurricane into the climate change. And it was just interesting, the weather forecaster coming out of the uh, hurricane center was just not going to go there. It just seems as though there's a lot more going on. It it's, makes life look like it's upside down and that, and that things are moving at an uncontrollable pace. The world in which we live in, our, how our government operates, how the rules change, uh, the policies that government institutes or the things that are appropriate or inappropriate to say now in public, even the idea of how much our gas prices have changed just in the last week. When we realize this, whether it's the weather changing or the style of music changes or the kind of uh, clothes we wear, how that changes, so let me just say it this way, everything changes. And we can count on the fact that the world is in a very uncertain place. But as we look at the character of God, about his attributes, about who he is, we're going to talk about a, what is his constant. It's a big word. We mentioned it last week as we unpack some things about his character, about his holiness. It's about his immutability. And I, let's see if I can give some context to this. And, and we could say it this way, is that when everything else changes... We can trust in a God who never changes. That's what that word immutable means. Continuing with Psalm 102, but jumping down to verse 25, he writes, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, he writes, and your years will never end. Wow, that is such an amazing thing to be reminded in the midst of all the craziness, is that God will never change. Let's look at some Bible verses that help us better understand that. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the writer says, I, the Lord, do not change. Or in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What does that mean? Well, there's never been a time when God was not God. There's never been a time when God ceased to be God. And that has to be an encouraging thing for us. We know that he's the first and the last. We know that he's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, that he's always been and he always will be. And as we talked about last week, that he's holy, that he's perfect, and that he's without spot or blemish because he is perfect, which is a good thing. It isn't like he has to get better. He's always there. He's always who he is and he will never change. Again, the, the writer in Malachi says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And this idea of God not changing is a complicated concept for many of us because if God doesn't change, then the question could be asked, can God change his mind? I know over the years I've had students ask me that question. And if it's true, if God can't change his mind, then why do we pray, right? But that's a conversation for another day. But let me just add a couple thoughts about that. Because if God can't change his mind, the writer of Numbers says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Well, let's take a look at the story here in Exodus that's interesting. God tells Moses after uh, he's been up on the mountain that he better go back and check on these people that he had left behind. Because what's happened since he was up on the mountain, he's not even out of sight, and they already turned their backs on God turned away from what they had just experienced, which I love this story because it reminds me how complicated our lives are and how after all that they had experienced, the Israelites, seeing the, the 10 plagues laid out and then the mass exodus, and yet right away, they're right back to their old ways. And so what's interesting is that God says he's going to destroy them. 
He, he says they've been worshiping golden calves, and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe them out. And so what's interesting here is Moses pleads with God for mercy for the Israelites. And here in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 32, it says, So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Well, that's kind of crazy to hear because, wait a minute, God, we have read other verses that say, no, God is who he is and he's going to do what he's going to do. And yet here in the conversation with Moses, we're told that he's going to change his mind. Wow. So there's a mindset here of how to approach it within uh, theological circles as we talk about this. There's one that's called open theists. It's a big term. But what that means basically is they take this phrase literally. It's exactly what it says. God's plans are not fixed and that he can change his mind. And then there's another way of looking at this, which is the idea. It, it's a big word. I'm not even sure I can say it correctly, but it's, uh, it's anthropomorphism. And basically what that means is that we attribute human characteristics to God. Think about it. In Genesis, we're told that God walked in the garden. Well, we know he doesn't have legs. And, and he doesn't have an earthly body, although I, when Jesus came, he did. But at that point, how did he walk in the garden with them? Or there's other places where it talks about him reaching out his hand. And really what those things are talking about is his emotions. So in the story of Moses, it's the point of view we approach it from. Moses says God changed. But my guess is that God already knew he'd shown mercy. And so what he wanted to take place here is he wanted Moses to ask, and so when Moses asked for mercy, and this is the beautiful thing, is that God was consistent with his character. Because we know, as we've talked about in the weeks previous, that God's a God who's trustworthy, that God's a God of love, that God's a God of, in the first week, he's merciful. And, and this idea of grace that we know and, and embrace so well. So I want to suggest that it, there wasn't any change in God's character. Really what took place is it was a response to the actions of his people. And so if God doesn't change his mind, you know, then we can ask the question, well, why pray? It's interesting in James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So what it is is a perspective thing. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, the writer says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Which is true then. I want to suggest that they both are, that God does respond to our prayers and he's not going to give us anything that's outside of his will. And we've talked about this before, but let me just underscore it here. This sort of a big idea is that the purpose of prayer isn't to get God to do our will. That the purpose of prayer is to know God so we can do his will. Let me say that again. The purpose of prayer isn't to get God to do our will. The purpose of prayer is to know God so we can do his will. We need to be reminded that when we pray that it tells us that we're not in control. And what it does is it keeps us close to who God is and his desires for us as we walk with him. Let's take a look at this big word we're trying to unpack, this immutability. What does that mean to me? What does it mean to you that God is immutable? What's the practical application of this? Well, in the reality of life, right, when you think about what's going on in the world, whatever you want to talk about, people, government officials, uh, friends, people are going to let you down, right? What's going on in the world financially, inflation is out of control, the messiness in the world politically, the, the war in the Ukraine, all the things that are taking place even in a personal way in our, our own physical bodies, right? Just the fact that we're maturing and things are, are just not working the way they used to. So what I want to do is give you a couple ideas here today to understand this immutability of God. 
And so we begin first with the concept of this, that God's word never changes. And that's where we begin, because it's his word that's his love letter to us. That's the thing we hang on to. That's why we need to be in the word. Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Or in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So here's what we know about God's word, right? It's fixed. It's true. It's something we can study. It endures. It lasts. We know that it's true. We know that it's indestructible. We're promised that it, it will come back to us to help us grow. And I love this quote, and I'm not quite sure who the pastor was, is that the truth is, is that the Bible is not the book of the week, or it's not the book of the month, or it's not the book of the year, but it's the book of the ages. It's something we can hang on to. And so we begin first with this idea that God's word never changes. And then we build on that with this idea that God's character never changes. Point two here. As I said last week, God doesn't have to study to be wise because he is wisdom. God didn't have to get loved to understand love. He is love, we're told. And God didn't have to see mercy to show mercy. He is mercy, and it's mercy, uh, if you will, that's everlasting. The reality is that we know that God is always with you and that he never forsakes you. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 35, and 37 through 39. So what do we understand? Well, first of all, we understand this about God, that he's always good, that he cannot be not good, that he has to be good, that we know too, as we've talked, that he's always loving that there's nothing that you can do to make him love you more, or there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. And then as we talked last week, to understand his holiness, to understand the beauty of what our friend Jackie Hill Perry shared about if God is who he says he is and in his holiness, then he's somebody that we can trust beyond all measure. Because we know that in his holiness, as a holy God, that he's just and he's righteous and he's patient with us and that he's full of compassion. In Isaiah, he says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So when we think about the world we're living in, the anxiety that's there in so many different ways, whether we're worried about our marriage or, or we're worried about a child, son or daughter that's not uh, tracking the way they should be. Maybe it's just the financial stress that we find ourselves in. Or maybe it's just uh, the news. And, and it's those kinds of things when we think about the future. Here's what we need to hang on to. We need to hang on to this simple truth that God's word never changes, and as well as that God's character never changes. And then finally, the third point is this idea that God's promises never change, and that's a very good thing. And you, you don't want to put this in the chat. Has anybody broken a promise to you? I'm going to guess probably so, right? Yeah, I'm sorry to bring that up if it's painful, but that's the reality of just the fact of who we are as human beings, that people are fickle, and we also know, too, that God is beyond faithful. Do you have a gift card? You know, we all use them at the store. Currently, they say that there's something like $15.5 billion 
that's on gift cards that nobody's used, that's going unused, which is very similar to when we think about the promises of God. There's a lot of promises that God gives us as his people, and we don't lean into them. It's interesting, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That's something we need to embrace, these things that are true that God has said yes to. What has he said yes to? When we hope in the Lord, what happens? He renews our strength, that we get to mount up like uh, wings of eagles. Or that there is no weapon that's formed against us to prosper. Or out of Psalm 23, right? Even though we walk through the shadow of death, what is his promise to us? Or how about what we talked about in the first week of the series, that his mercies are new every morning. But also to be reminded that when we're tempted, he always gives us a way out. Or when we do commit a sin, that we can confess our sin. And then also the scriptures tell us that we're more than conquerors. And that we also are promised that we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. But also the fact that uh, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Also the promise that he's preparing a place for you, that he's going to come back. That when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are going to arise, that we're going to meet him in the air. And then the promise that we're going to reign with him forever. And that huge promise that there's going to be no more crying, no more tears. And then finally, the old will pass away and the new will come. So let me just wrap up with this. What have we said? That God's word never changes. That God's character never changes. And that his promises endure. Be honest, this is the God who has this whole world of ours in his hands. And the beauty of that to know that he's immutable, that he never changes, and that he cares about you. That should be a huge encouragement. And to celebrate these truths for us as his people, let's prepare our hearts for communion. So as we turn to celebrate the meal that Jesus instituted through the Lord's Supper, the meal of remembrance that we call it, let's take a moment and just hear the scriptures. Please read along with me as we read what the promise is here, uh, just to reinforce what we've learned today. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this truth. We're grateful as we understand that you are God who does not change. We're grateful for your word that teaches us. And so as we celebrate this meal, we're reminded of what you, Jesus, you did for us. And so Holy Spirit, now equip us and encourage us in this moment as we celebrate uh, this meal of remembrance. We pray it in your strong name, amen. So on the night that Jesus was with his disciples, he took a piece of bread that was there on the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And on that night, as they're celebrating the Passover meal, he takes the fourth cup. And it's the fourth cup that we're reminded, the fact, what the writer of Hebrews tells us, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Uh, It's the only way that we can get out of our shame and our guilt. And that it's the blood of Jesus that restores us and heals us, that offers us redemption, that in fact gives us new life. What Jesus says is this is the cup of the new covenant. Take and drink of this and do this in remembrance of me, of what he has accomplished. So take and drink. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? What a statement that is. How encouraging it is. That's why we do communion, is to be reminded of that simple truth, of what Christ has restored for us as we love him and then serve our neighbors, as we bring the love of Christ to them each day in every way we possibly can. And so let's pray. God, we're grateful to be reminded in this moment. We're grateful, Jesus, for your sacrifice and for the life that you give us. And we pray as we remember your sacrifice that we will be encouraged to love you and to love others with all that you've done. We pray it in your strong name. Amen.